Film Church. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. I am putting myself to the fullest possible use, which is all I think that any conscious entity can ever hope to do. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. Uh, possibly the one and only. So if you're into that kind of thing, welcome to the church. Uh, it's Sunday. I'm Brandon. I'm Lewis. And we're here to talk about movies. Each week, Lewis and I alternate picking a film for both of us to watch and discuss. But this week, we continue our 2023 director retrospective on Stanley Kubrick. Uh, we have been watching chronologically the films of Kubrick and discussing them in detail each week. So if you're a Kubrick fan, uh, or if not, you know, go back and listen to, this is like episode like seven in the series already, right? Yeah. Um, So we've been discussing everything from the early films that most nobody has seen to, you know, we're up to 2001 Space Odyssey now. Um, Yeah. And that's the film we're discussing today, 2001, A Space Odyssey from 1968. Uh starring Kair du- Duella and Douglas Rain. Hopefully I said those names right. Um, get ready for a trippy episode, y'all. Uh, this is a film that I think you don't really watch, you experience. So if you're not used to having a, an experience from a film or you're not willing to like give yourself over to having an experience while watching a film, this probably isn't a film for you. Maybe you're here to figure out what the heck this film was about. Um, I don't know, but (laughs) maybe we'll figure that out once we get into this discussion. Uh, We're also joined this week by our special guest, filmmaker Jason Woods. Hello, Jason. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for inviting me back to the show. This is... I love this podcast so much, and Brandon and Lewis are awesome friends, too, so I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we're glad to have you, man. Um, Jason, had <laughs> this is your second time with us. He's uh, been on an episode uh, that we did on Dogma, which was your choice. You brought it to the, to the church to discuss, and we thank you for that. That was a good episode. So, um, yeah, if you're listening or watching to this, go back and find that on our YouTube channel, which is, um, that was a video discussion that we did. If you're listening to this podcast right now, it is also a video discussion that we'll have up on our YouTube channel, Film Church Radio. So go check it out. Give all of our social medias uh, a follow. Um, and you can find our podcast on our good podcast platforms. Uh, so normally this is a section where we kind of discuss other films that we've been watching this week besides um, our main topic, which is 2001. But since we have a special guest, um, we want to just like catch up with you for a minute and see how things have been going. <laughs> What's going on in your film, you know, your religious film world. 
So not religious film world, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so basically, what I've been up to is I've been watching a lot more movies. Luckily, thanks to my AMC Stub subscription, which turns out to be more worth it than I thought. Down here is like way more AMC's, so I was like, okay, twenty one bucks a month, and I get to see like three movies a week. Count me in. Nice. So That's I've cool. watched quite a bit of things in the theater a lot of times well i'm like not that many people in there (laughs) um actually the last um the last two films i've watched were this little small uh indie film called of an age this one i'm actually going to talk about in a youtube video that i made which at the time of recording right now is already up so i am excited for everybody to listen to that and that one's like i really like because it's very like emotionally driven very intimate and of course it's like very queer so i love it already the other one i've seen is cocaine bear yeah (laughs) and cocaine bear is something that i've realized i am I loved it way more than I thought. I had, like, no expectations going in because it was, like, it comes from out of nowhere. But, like, the more you think about it, the more you uh, realize what is, everything's all about. Plus the fact that it's a true story. Yeah. You're just like, oh, I gotta take this. And they did it. And they went there. Like, yeah. it's so funny. Like, the R rating holds up, like kudos to elizabeth banks because she did that thing she did that (laughs) sweet so those are those are going to be up on your youtube channel um of an age is i'm still working on a cocaine bear and also trying to i don't know i might hold y'all hold me to this if y'all want but i'm going to try to talk about a lot of oscar stuff because yeah oscar weekend is uh next week yep so it's coming up fast there's still a lot that i need to catch up on yeah and same there's a lot that i need to catch up with and i need to watch a couple movies that i really don't want to see but for the sake of best picture i have to see them so (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's gonna be a lot Uh, there's a lot to catch up on and i want to say depending on what theater you go to there are a couple of uh they're doing like special screenings for the Oscars, including shorts. So I'm excited to see if I can get into that to watch all of those short films for the um, for the year. So I'm excited for that, and everybody should be excited. Uh, it'll be called Road to Oscars, so it'll be up on my YouTube channel. Sweet, yeah, that sounds great. I uh, I've always wanted to do that, like go go to the theater to see the shorts, and I've never been able to. The timing is always wrong whenever it's like time to go, and I'm just haven't been able to do it yet. But right, um, so bad. Okay, but, we're back yeah. after a little technical issue. Um, <laughs> so well, that's cool. I did go see Cocaine Bear too. I'm excited to see like more of what your your thoughts are on it if you do a, a video on it because I liked it. Um, it was fun. It was it it kind of felt like maybe I should just see it again like it felt a little tonally all over the place for me 
Um, but not enough to be like, oh, this is a bad movie. It's not like a bad movie. I just mean it's like, I don't know. It, it just... <laughs> maybe I'm analyzing it too much. <laughs> I I took it everything at kind of like at face value, right? Yeah. And yeah. I came in like I came in burst to be blind, other than like seeing all the trailers from the other movies and whatnot. I just knew that like it was gonna be a fun time. I originally was not that interested in it, but like I kept on watching people um who were excited about it talk about oh my god it's so exciting i was like okay whatever and i was like okay this is actually it's clever the script is great the acting is very comedic incredible i i love everybody who's on it uh there's that one guy that's been on tiktok yes yeah i love the fact that he's in the the movie yeah the (laughs) ikea guy yeah and i was like that that's the power of social media right there. Yeah. Every, it works. And I was like, that is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Seeing like a TikTok person that's not like, you know, Addison Ray or all of them other, uh, you know, influencer types yeah. just like have a career. That's just like his first role yeah. ever. Yeah. And so he's good. Just, he's good in the movie. It's so funny. Yeah. So I'm, that's uh, what I was excited about. And then O'Shea Jackson Jr. Love him. Love Margot Martindale. Like, yeah. it's just a fun, fun time. Yeah. Margot <laughs> Martindale is hilarious. <laughs> Character actor Margot Martindale is yeah. a being hilarious. <laughs> I'm guessing you've seen BoJack Horseman. Of course I've seen BoJack yeah. Horseman. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen BoJack, Lewis? Yeah, I've seen. Um, I think the first two seasons. Okay. I think I fell off after that. But yeah, yeah. Does Marga is Margot in the? I can't remember when she comes in. I honestly She's forgot. Like, to. She plays so herself in the show. She's like, I'm character Listen. actress Margot Martindale. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all she needs to do is play yeah. herself because yeah. <laughs> she is awesome. Well, cool, man. Um, yeah, those are some some good choices. Uh, thank you, thank you. Anything, anything you want to shout out uh, before we talk about our main feature? As far as uh, I don't know, anything you're, um, else you're working on? Just find um, you on YouTube. Uh, yeah, CSU uh, Studios on YouTube. Um, also, of course, I'm doing film work as well. I have nothing like concrete yet, but you know, things are always in the works and yeah. hoping to have something out soon. So just hit me up there and like and subscribe, of course. Like and subscribe yes, this as absolutely. well. Uh, and also, I mean, so Jason and I have worked on a film together. It's called Broken Boy. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It is on YouTube as well um, under the Selman Scope channel. Um, you can find it. Uh, yeah. And then, and then you have a behind the scenes like video that you did not too long ago too. I was excited you did that. Oh, Are that you... was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and Lewis's <laughs> name is also in the credits. If you're wondering, he's got a a special well, thanks credit in there. We're all involved. <laughs> yeah. So it's a great big happy family. <laughs> all right. Well, I think it's time to move on to our feature presentation. Two thousand one, a space odyssey, the ultimate trip. 
humanity finds a mysterious object buried beneath the lunar surface and sets off to find its origins with the help of HAL 9000, the world's most advanced supercomputer. Um, <laughs> I feel like that description is accurate, but that, you, you know, I don't know. Does this movie have a plot? I don't know. I think there's, okay. there's <coughs> things that tie it together. Yeah. Um, but I, I think a plot is very loose. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, what I describe this film as is like, there's a plot there, but it's vibes. This is a vibes movie. <laughs> like, I think yeah, that's exactly. kind of what I like is like the fact that there's a um, there's a loose plot thread. Like there are themes that are being explored in 2001 that you know talking about technology, about the human relationship with technology, and it just goes to show each part is an aspect of humans versus technology. And whether or not it melts together or there's a big clash. And that's my kind of my favorite aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because like it, the, at the beginning of the film, it, you know, it's got the famous like opening sequence with the apes and, you know, first evolving into learning to use tools, which you could also call technology. And you've got the first tool, which is, you know, using a bone to kill, um, and yeah, then it just like evolves from there. Yeah, it's it's weirdly a human experience. Like every time we find some form of technology, we use it to harm others. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you know, with the existence of the monolith and the discoveries that you know, the eight men had made, it's just very just it's. It feels like it talks to that aspect of, like, humans, like, we are kind of destined to always, for lack of better terms, fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, or just, like, and yeah, just, like, a, a weird, um, like, we're not who we are without murder. Like, like us us gaining the first like the first fruit of knowledge that we got the th- the first thing that we did that made us human was murder and and then it's like this, that's the same thing that happens with how which is the ultimate like evolved human you know how is now evolved is is evolving into something more human and he murders Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting that all the the humans that we come across um, are pretty kind of tight-knit. There's no animosity between any of the humans that we kind of come in contact with. It's the apes that we see kind of like learning, and then it's Hal, you know? Yeah. Um, it's never, you know, the, the human element of this story, the kind of the human um, progression to kill is all fast-forwarded you know, with the bone flying through the air. You know, we missed that part out completely um, to get to the to the technology trying to kill us, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. 
I kind of also want to talk about the fact that this opening is extremely, extremely iconic. Even recently parodied in a certain trailer about a yeah. certain doll. I, <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that we just, like, if you know, you know that how much that like that parody means mm-hmm. and i i'm just a huge fan of whenever uh other filmmakers take what's inspiring them and make something out of it that's completely transformative which is like why well, i love we'll get a girl with the barbie trailer just using that iconic sequence and that uh everything related to that beginning sequence just to show and reveal Barbie, Margot Robbie, uh, Margot Robbie's Barbie. I just, ah, uh, I love it so much. It just, <laughs> it's just, I just love it. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to, um, I was trying to tell Sarah about 2001: A Space Odyssey. I was like, "Have you seen it?" She was like, "I don't think so." And I was trying to describe like the opening and stuff, and um, I was like, you know, they just did like this thing in the the Barbie trailer where they're like mimicking it, and she like, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like trying to describe it, and I was like, I know you've seen the trailer, you know what I'm talking about, but like, you know, for people that aren't filmmakers, you know, if you see a scene like that, it's not going to be like, oh, they're doing the scene, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So. It's like it's like whenever at like uh, anime fans who watch movies like go watch like movies and they, uh, the filmmakers include like the motorcycle scene, which is like a parody of the motorcycle scene from Akira. There's like ah, oh, they did the Akira scene. <laughs> yeah. it, it's the same energy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> this is the problem with growing up watching The Simpsons because I feel like every scene in every major film has been parodied at some point and i've seen it a hundred times before i got to the actual film yeah so you know we spoke about um strange love last week and how you know the first time i watched it i'd seen the parodies and the kind of like influences of it before i'd actually seen the film and with this there's just it's the same you know there's so much in there um that's been parodied and kind of before you actually get to the film it's hard to see it without that reflection you know i would have you know it would be incredible to have seen this for the first time and not like not know anything that's going to happen yeah exactly yeah because i think watching this film for the first time i can't remember when it was it was probably Mm. 10 or so years ago but yeah i just remember watching it and just being like that was incredible like i had never seen anything like that yeah um it is an experience, you know, and and then yeah. like and and then leading up to all the the scenes with Hal and the the murder and like how haunting, how much of like a a straight up just horror movie in space that whole sequence is, you know, way before anybody had done anything like that. Yeah. Um, it was just incredible because it's like that. Uh, I mean, it still holds up as far as, like, the visuals, like, everything, you know? Mm. Like, it looks incredible. Like, they're predicting things in the future that um, have come to fruition, like video chats and, um, iPad-style things. Yeah, exactly. Artificial intelligence. um, Yeah. And, uh, yeah, um... 
lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where was I, I going with that? <laughs> but just, yeah, just experiencing this movie for the first time. I mean, sci-fi up to that point had kind of been, I mean, the Star Trek was out, but it was all, yeah. it was all very stylized in a way that wasn't, um, realistic necessarily. Like I was talking to my dad about this movie cause he went and saw this in a theater at seven years old. <laughs> and I was like, how did, how were you allowed to go see this? But the movie yeah. is like rated G for one yeah. thing. I mean, when you think about it, there's nothing really in it that is like that a kid really couldn't watch. Cause like the violent, yeah. I guess Hal is technically violent, but like, it's not like gore or anything. And then like the no. violence that you do see any kind of like, blood or anything is like with the apes and it's like that's something that you might see on a documentary it's like yeah. of course like like you could see kids watching that in school you know or something um so yeah there's nothing in it that, that a, a kid really couldn't see but he wanted to go see it because i mean this is like right at the time that i mean this is before we got to the moon but the space race is like going you know, and all the hype mm -hmm. about space travel and trying to get to the moon, trying to beat Russia there, you know, everybody is just hyped at this time for it. And and he what he said that was like it the movie kind of accurately portrayed like the slowness of space travel. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. like Star Trek yeah. where you could just beam up, you know, it was like Yeah. I'll, it was a journey, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, he said that, I mean, he, he only saw it the once I think in, in cinemas, he just rewatched it the other day too. But I mean, he was like, there's images from that movie that just like stuck with me my whole life because it was just like, like nothing he had ever seen. And like, he can remember, you know, being in the theater and watching it. And he had seen like tons of movies at that theater but he can't like name off like, oh yeah, I saw this there and that there. Yeah. But you know, 2001, he's like, yeah, I saw that. Um, wow. Because That's it just, you know, stuck with imprinted. him. Imprinted. Yeah. Yeah. That is so crazy. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it kind of portrays a very realistic version of the sci-fi craze. And I think it's just like made at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And we think about it, much of the different aspects of 2001, like all of the, you know, like everything with like the video chats and all of that, everything is still relevant today. And especially now with the concept of AI being mm -hmm. very, very popular, this just proves that they were onto something. Like Kubrick was onto something whenever this film was made. And honestly, it, it kind of feels like sci-fi almost predicts what technology is relevant today, really enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like life imitates art, right? It's the old, the old saying. I don't think that's a coincidence, though, because Kubrick is such a meticulous researcher. I mean, this film, it was being made for four years. Um, you know, the... Um, 
Doctor Strangelove came out in 64, this came out in 68. And he pretty much started as soon as Strangelove finished on researching this project. His uh, initial idea was that he wanted to explore what would happen if we met aliens. That was where like the nugget of this idea came from. And Kubrick being Kubrick, he just inhaled every single item he could. You know, he had interviews with people at NASA. He talked to, you know, computer engineers about what the future would look like. He it got to a point in production where he was having every film ever made about space travel sent to him. He was watching shorts from Canada. He was watching like everything he could that had already made about space travel so that he could see, you know, how others were doing it. And some of the technicians were actually like brought over from those films because he was like, okay, this looks semi-realistic. I want them on this film. Yeah. He was just obsessed with getting this like as accurate as possible. Yeah. It's it's mind-blowing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But I think it also helps that a science fiction writer also helped with the script as well. Yeah. Someone who was like really in that space well okay so uh, the the book well they they first took it from like a short story right and then they wrote the guy wrote the book while they were making the movie or like mm-hmm. at the same time yeah kubrick wanted um arthur c clark who was the author to um so basically he wanted to write the novelization first and then turn that into a shooting script because he said that he wanted it to be visual he didn't want you know lots of dialogue which there there isn't but he wanted you know like a novelized version so he could you know give the actors and whoever like this is what we're doing you know as opposed to 35 pages for a two and a half hour film exactly Um, yeah so yeah so um obviously clark was uh, (laughs) was commissioned to write this thing um but every time he finished a draft Kubrick would send back notes and be like, this needs to be changed. This needs to change. This isn't right. <laughs> and it's like the novelization was about, was going to come out that year and a half before the film released and ended up coming out after because of Kubrick's. Wow. He wouldn't sign off on it. See, that's incredible. I always thought yeah. that the book like was first and like older and stuff, but you know, I yeah. had no idea. Same with like the Godfather. It's like they were, the guy was working on the Godfather. Like it was. That's crazy. Before, yeah. yeah, they started working on the movie before the book was out. You know, it was like crazy. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. And then I guess he went on to make a whole series of books. Yeah, um, and from what I can tell from, you know, people on the internet, um, the, the, <laughs> the book really, and like, they just, it's like two pieces of a puzzle. They just go together so well. Yeah. You know, the book has a lot more dialogue and kind of explains things a lot more. And then the film is a lot more like visual and just takes you on that journey. Mm-hmm. So people are like, you know, you just flip flop between the two forever because yeah. they just add so much to each other. Yeah. So I have a question. Mm. Do you read the book first and then the movie or watch the movie first, then the book? I mean, I would. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think with 2001, you've got to see it first. Yeah. Because it kind of, I, mean, I think it kind of just like puts you into that headspace and that world, you know? I would imagine. I haven't read the book, yeah. but. Me neither, but I definitely kind of want to watch, uh, read it now after this. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that I love about like the history of this movie is the fact that 
But wasn't it something like 200 people walked out of the 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 executive screening and most of them were executives like and producers and stuff and they were like I don't get they just got bored and they left. They didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't get it and then uh it was in the and well, at least according to IMDb, it was like in yeah. theaters for a while, and um, they were ba- they were gonna pull it, but then theaters started saying, "No, wait, like let's keep it here a little while because like there's like it's starting to pick up a little bit. Like a lot of yeah. like college students are coming in here like tripping yeah. balls and watching <laughs> yeah, the movie, the and yeah. then all of a sudden the movie like picked back up and like yeah. started getting like this underground." Uh, following because people mm. were like getting high and watching the movie and like having this whole new experience yeah. with it. <laughs> Which... You know what? I that's what I said. Right place, right time. Yeah, because exactly. if mm-hmm. it was made a couple of years earlier or a couple of years later, it probably wouldn't have gotten the same success. And I'm thinking about it. This is coming out before the new Hollywood or Hollywood Renaissance, like, just takes full hold. So this feels like a a great kind of blending of, here's how Hollywood used to be, like, old Hollywood, and that's why the executives went out. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it goes to shows, like, the blending and the kind of, like, transition of old and new. But so I think the fact that 2001 is such a transitional piece, if you place it, like, and its placement in history, in film history, is like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a there's a reason why the studio execs probably were were very nervous about this film. I mean, MGM at this time were like hemorrhaging money; they were not doing very well, and they had this crazy maverick that was like spent four years making a film. The budget had ballooned from like six million to ten and a half in those four years and was just like, like, and then you get, you know, the only thing that they could see, um, you know, throughout it was just some test footage that he was shooting around like the locations. Um, and then they like, you know, you sit down and you watch it. And as you know, if you're a businessman, you're like, I don't know how we're going to sell this. Yeah. Cause it's not, you know, it's not, I mean, what other, what other films came out around that time? Like Dr. Shivago. You know, it's not like that. It's yeah. so out there and completely different that, like, I get it. I mean, Kubrick, again, backed himself. He went and bought a lot of shares in MGM before the film was released because he was like, I know that this is going to do well at the box office. I know that, the you know, I'm going to make money for this company. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, so he was just like, I'm going to go and buy shares of MGM because I know the stock's going to go up. I guess I guess he had money at that point because Doctor Strange Love had done so well. Yeah, I mean Doctor Strange Love, Spartacus, Lolita, you know they'd all passed glory to a certain extent. Had like got yeah. his name out there, but yeah, I mean he was being talked about, you know, and people were aware of him. Yeah. So, um, Interesting. Yeah, man, what a move. Yeah, because yeah. it's just, I mean, I guess. I guess from a technical aspect, you know, <laughs> from the visual effects and stuff, you can see you can see how like him him as a filmmaker, like he knew that that part of it was going to be like nothing anybody else had ever seen before. 
I mean, you're still sitting watching this thing, and you, I don't know how they did it. Yeah, yeah. I'm still like, how on earth did they get this shot? How on earth did they like film this? Yeah, it's insane. It looks incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, which got him his only Oscar for oh. best visual yeah. effects. Yeah, um, and a technical one either, like not yeah. even a directing yeah. one. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's so obvious that George yeah. Lucas saw this movie and was like, "Oh, I, okay, I can create yeah. something in this world. Like, I can make something like yeah. look like this." And you know, without that, he probably wouldn't even have started writing Star Wars within you know a space world yeah. without knowing visually that he could achieve something like that. Um, yeah, because like I mean, all the spaceship, like the, all the design of everything, looks just like Star Wars, but yeah. a little more. Um, I okay, gosh. I probably wouldn't say much less Star Wars, much more THX eleven thirty eight. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it, it it evolved for sure. Yeah, because I, I think say that. I, I I it it was one of the it was either like Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg or George Lucas. It was one of those three that said two thousand one a space odyssey was um <coughs> Stanley Kubrick making the art film mainstream. Because it kind of is an art film, right? It's yeah. like it's very kind of experimental and like um interpretive it's like yeah the movie is an experience and you can interpret it in different ways and experience different things depending on your state of mind and who you are as a person and your worldview and all that kind of stuff so it's like it is an art piece it's like in that way yeah. um and thx you know for george lucas was george lucas trying to do an art film, I think. Uh, yeah. But then figured out, you know, he was better at making action movies or like kids yeah. movies, I guess, you know. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to just like downplay Lucas like that. I mean, I'm not but... saying, I'm not like, I'm not saying that like that's a bad thing, you know. I'm just saying like, uh, I mean, THX is, is, not terrible, you know what I mean? But it's not like it was clear it didn't like it. It's a concept, it's like, yeah, it was exactly. A proof of concept. It, and it didn't like people didn't con- audiences didn't connect with it, you know. Um, yeah. it's still a, a great movie to watch. I think people should watch it, but um, I'm just saying, as far as like his career success, you know, it was oh, know, yeah. obviously Star Wars, is yeah. like the glass oh, break. Yeah. The bla- the like the glass break moment for me while watching it this time was that alien is just this with an alien added. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, yeah, it's pretty much exactly you know an android like is trying is just killing them off to try and save the mission. Uh huh. Um, but there's just an alien running around. Yeah, you know, and I was just like, and every sci-fi film that has come after this must some way. I mean, every film has been inspired by this film. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's like, um, yeah, it's like, that's why I was saying, like, the horror movie aspect of 2001 with Hal, like, tonally, 
like it's just I've never I, I don't I don't know anybody else who's who's achieved that so well. But yeah, it's like yeah. Alien is just like what if we added a like made this also a monster movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to I mean I'm going to say it right now. This film for me it it transcends the medium. I think that it's 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 better than film could ever have dreamt that it could be. It's just like it's such an incredible feeling while watching this film. You yeah. know, and it doesn't it just sucks you in. It doesn't feel like anything else you've ever seen before or will ever see again. It's it's the highest point of film, in my opinion. I don't think it gets any better than this. So is this going as your number one? <laughs> on, I think uh, I mean it's I mean it's letterbox. Is it I think that you is know it better than Vertigo? <laughs> personal preference does you know speak a lot you know yeah, i do yeah. vertigo is my favorite film of all time but in terms of the visual aspects of it the storytelling that's used the attention to detail like everything is just a hundred percent like you you couldn't improve this yeah. i don't think in yeah. any in any area you know and i think in other films you can like vertigo like the 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 rear screen projection and when he pulls her out of the water and stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff, it still looks like a film where this never ever does. Interesting, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like you um, can't you can't necessarily see the filmmaking while you're no. watching it. Whereas, yeah, like, if exactly. you're watching Vertigo, you can be like, oh yeah, there's a projector there. Yeah, I think the only thing that seems a little bit dated out of all of it is like the Velcro shoes. Mm. You know, that's the only thing that I'm like, that seems a bit weird. <laughs> but like, you know, that is it. Yeah. Dude, even <laughs> Hal is like, like, how has nobody like made anything that looks like that yet? Like, I know. So sinister. That little mm-hmm. red light. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, I never would have thought that a single red light can mean so much and put so much fear into yeah. everybody. Yeah. It's like it's like the genesis of those like deep fried memes with like <laughs> the red lights coming out of people's eyes. It's like yeah. that's that's how. Like that's the impact of how freaking nine thousand right there. <laughs> and how it's like how two thousand one is transcended as a film. Yeah. It is very, very like it I feel like his impact as a art as a form of art, as a film, as a piece of media that was successful at a certain point in time, especially during the sixties, is just like I feel like a lot of people they talk about its impact, but they don't really realize how much just influence this film has over everything else that yeah. is made like like i said every film has some form of inspiration by 2001 in this and honestly if i want to be real probably the concept of uh an aspect of drug culture has been inspired by this film too because a lot of people probably came to see it like especially for the indie ending sequence and watching mm-hmm. that high and getting just the that experience with that it's yeah. it's just like this is just a very just influential piece of media that 
people, I feel like they they realize it. It's like they know, but they don't know like yeah. how deep the well runs. Exactly. Yeah. It's like I kind of am realizing more and more that Kubrick is kind of like uh, like Shakespeare in a way, or or like. Uh, maybe more um i agree with that he's or, movie shakespeare yeah or, or maybe more like aristotle like you know somebody like you know like you know like screenwriters a, a the way, yeah like well the way that yeah. like screenwriters like or, or playwrights like have to study like aristotle's poetics to understand like comedy and tragedy and you know all the fundamentals of like storytelling or like somebody that uh, studies music would would study Mozart and Beethoven. Um, it's like Kubrick is not necessarily somebody, especially today, that if you're not a filmmaker or a huge film lover, you're not necessarily going to know who he is. But if you are a filmmaker or a film lover, you know who he is because you reference him in every th- single thing you do. You know, because mm-hmm. he laid yeah. such a foundation for what you know defining the art form you know and what it could be yeah, yeah i, I agree do feel that i feel that i thoroughly believe that kubrick is the bridge is yeah is the ultimate bridge between old hollywood and new hollywood mm-hmm. because i feel like strange love is felt more like old hollywood in the way it's presented. Yeah. And 2001 is presented in a way where it sets the stage for the more character-driven, more loose threads, more just a more realistic, gritty feel for Mm -hmm. what a film could be. And then couple that with uh, Hitchcock being at his peak during like the earlier, I think during the, around the same time, you just got a a one two punch of yeah. just setting the stage for everything. Like from you no know, easy, easy rider from to Jaws to like in Coppola's entire career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like you is like everything about this film just sets the stage for a whole new generation of people and this i will call it as uh, as gen z says it is a cultural reset a cultural mm-hmm. just shift happened yeah with this yeah. film yeah and agreed yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think it's like it, it shows that <clears throat> like you were saying brand that every filmmaker has been inspired by this because last year Sight and Sound did their like top film poll where they kind of um, ask critics on one side and then filmmakers on the other to like list the top 10 films and then combine the list and for the filmmakers this came out as number one Mm. this was like the filmmakers top film yeah Um, and I think that when you are interested in the making of films and like how these things are put together um, this just speaks to you on a level because it's just, it's flawless. Like we've said, you know, it's it's there's shots in here that are still mind blowing. 
Yeah. Now. So I can't imagine, you know, 50, 60 years ago what that would have been like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's also incredible, like, how you can just take a uh, a tablet, which yeah. is a, a plain-ass yeah. tablet, yeah. and make it the freakiest, scariest, haunting, like, most haunting yeah. thing uh, in the moment. It's just like, this thing's freaky. It's freaking me out. Why? Yeah. It just looks like a phone. I know. <laughs> But it's an alien. <laughs> and um, speaking of like aliens and all of that, don't you feel like the acting in the film felt very robotic? Like everything, I feel like after like after how really dynamic uh, the eight men scene was, everything else from that on point forward feels very robotic, as yeah. if how. Yeah, you're watching the whole movie from Hal's perspective, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. That, and there is a reason for that. Kubrick said that um, he spoke to like astronauts and people at NASA. And because people that would be in space would be pretty much scientists, um, that they said that the emotional side is dumbed down. They're very, you know, um, by the book, articulate, you know, very studious as a yeah. term. Like they're not emotional people, you know. Because they can't be. It's like the the slightest thing would could kill them. Yeah. Um, so it, again, it just goes back to the realism that he was going for. It's just like these they got to, have got to feel like astronauts. And never once did he speak to the actors about kind of the what the film was about. He was mm-hmm. like, I didn't want them to know any like kind of what was happening at any point. Yeah, that's to keep them in that position. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Hmm. It makes sense because yeah. you get so lost in the world that the actors kind of blend in. Like, I feel like everyone, like, you don't really get time to get to know everyone except for Dave because everyone yeah. else just gets, you know, they get murked <laughs> off and you're just like, asleep or, yeah. <laughs> and you don't really get time to, like, to feel for them. Yeah. And, that's I feel like that's why Dave is so important to that is because like Dave is this feels like he's like a vessel like yeah. he essentially transcends into just like a vessel for this like very just like out of body out of world experience which you can probably say is the same kinds of feelings that everyone during the space race probably felt leading up to and after the moon landing it's like oh we're going to you know places we've never been there before and you know stuff like star trek adds on to that and seeing all of this and you just kind of like it feels like a visual representation of like warp speed and you're just like oh this is that like intense like crazy like i feel like everything is like mind-blowing yeah yeah it feels like everything is just like changing right in front of you it's just like you're it's faster than your brain can process it which is like why you see all of like the like the flashes of like his face and like his distorted like fa- like view 
as you know you go forward before you get to that final sequence and there's like everything leading up to that is like it feels like an emotional like character arc for dave to have some form of emotions (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) to like experience actual emotions or something (laughs) but (laughs) i know i'm probably reading way too much into that but it just kind of feels like this whole thing is like you see a voyeuristic feel of someone's character arc and how just you can it, it it feels like how of course how is a machine but how is also a character how is also has these emotions that kind of transcend his sentience feels like too Mm. yeah yeah and with that it just like it feels like with his sentience just like being dumbed down and just like seeing everything just kind of dumbed down as Dave essentially kills him and you know makes him obsolete it's almost like he's it, it feels like a version of like a lobotomy yeah, <laughs> it feels yeah. like a mm-hmm. like a, a robot like a lobotomy happening right in front of us, and it, it's just so wild, it's so weird to see that yeah, yeah. someone just kind of like losing their humanness in front of us, even though yeah. they're a robot. Oh, they're you know robot, they're AI, but. Yeah. Because it's, I yeah. think that the way that he's kind of powered down is very human as well. Because he kind of starts to like, he knows he's losing the battle. And he's kind of like, he's talking to Dave. He's like, I'm losing this part of myself now. And then he gets to the point where he's like, where he's going crazy. You know, he's singing songs mm-hmm. and like, you know, it's, it's such a. Yeah, it's like seeing someone deteriorate to the point of madness. Um, and I think that's. Um, pretty terrifying as well but the scariest bit is where they're in the pod and they're like i don't think hal can hear us and they're talking about what's happening and all we all we get is that like reverse shot of the mouths Mm. like like talking and you're like oh you're doomed this is it like you've this is the card that you've got and you've played it wrong yep there's you know you're a goner (laughs) it's terrifying yeah because you know how smart he is (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, he gets the ultimate of everything. Yeah, he gets the ultimate compliment from Kubrick. He can win at chess. Yeah, (laughs) like yeah, I love the digital chess. Like just like all the like, I never like knew that about him before. That Kubrick loved chess so much, and there's just like a reference in every single movie. I know there is theories that Hal H A L um, is um, could be IBM. Because in the alphabet, I follows H, B follows A, um, and M follows L. Mm. So people are saying that it's Kubrick's way of saying IBM. He's dis- he disputed it and said, no, <laughs> that, that was just a happy coincidence. Um, but is there ever a happy coincidence in a Kubrick film? I don't yeah. know about that. That is so petty. Like, yeah. I, that's, too, like that's too coincidental for me not to, for it to be intentional 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's even, I mean, there's so much in this film that we can like, that has just shaped, as you were saying, Jason, just shaped like how we live today. I mean, product placement kind of started with this film, like Hilton, you know, he approached Hilton to be in it and be a part of it. IBM was supposed to be in it and then kind of start to see that it was about technology killing people and pulled out <laughs> as well. Um, maybe, again, why Hal's named Hal. <laughs> uh-huh. um, it's just just all these things that kind of just snowballed into what they are today. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's insane. It's insane. And in modern cases, technology has literally killed people. Like, yeah. if we talk about the whole tesla incident with all of these uh people dying because of like faulty ai with the autopilot and then going into the dangerous of, of like a dangerous zone of like you know deep fakes using ai to uh make art that's technically stolen and then even with our faces being used to essentially farm ai now like with other uh applications i think one because like open cloud ai or whatever that people are using for interviews and doing interviews with ai and using that to you know crazy record and like detect everything that uh, that's going on and then um it's it is kind of scary to see like how far technology is going, and then oh, even now, have y'all seen like all of these deep fakes? I don't think they're deep fakes. They're like real time fakes of celebrities that like they move as if they're the real person, but they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's crazy. I mean, even people are selling their likeness to be able to carry on acting after they've passed away. Oh God! Like <laughs> that is so weird. I mean, Bruce Willis did it because of his um, yeah. dementia that he got um, diagnosed with. Um, but yeah, he sold his likeness to um, a film studio. That is crazy. I feel like that shouldn't be a one-time fee. That should be like... Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I haven't looked at the contract, but I'm sure it's probably <laughs> pretty lucrative. Like, get, <laughs> yeah, get your family some royalties. Yeah. yeah. yeah just like... I mean... The Tom Cruise guy is incredible. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> scarily good. Yeah. It, um, do you, go ahead, Jason. No, no, no. I was I was going to say like how scary it is now because if you put all of this technology into the wrong hands, it can cause what feels like honest, irreparable harm to people. Yeah. 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 I mean, the other thing that we can also, um, you know, potentially thank Kubrick for is how we pronounce 2001. Um, Because there was a big debate at the time about, you know, how to kind of pronounce it. Because if you think about like 1968, it's 1968. So 2001 would have been 2001. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about this "Mm -hmm." the other day because we still say we say like 2022. yeah, but, but like that whole decade, noughties, it was like yeah, 2002, 2006, yeah. you know. And people like, uh, people have traced it back and think that it's because of this. Yeah. To why we called it, you know, I mean, the year 2000 for obvious reasons, but then it should have been 2001. Right, exactly. But people called it 2001 because of this movie. Wow. It's wild. 
It's crazy, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's Kendrick. one of those things that you don't think about until yeah, exactly. like it's pointed out, and you're like, "Oh yeah, of course." Like that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yet another like reason why the film is so relevant now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that is. Oh my Madness. god. Yeah. And Do you want? I go ahead. Oh uh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say like how I feel like how the editing and the cinematography probably led to how people were like trying to go in there high as well. Like (laughs) the cinematography, (laughs) like I said, felt very much so, like I said, uh, with Hal's point of view and you just see how static, how emotionless, how just blank face, like Mm. everything is, it kind of goes to show the coldness of, like how whenever you see just like coldness of humans and the coldness Mm. of technology and then you begin to warm it up and when you show that warmth it's how a lot of the warmth can go one way or another yeah yeah i mean the only bit of um like i would i don't know how to pronounce the only the only bit of like cinematography that really stands out is the handheld shots for when Dave breaks back into the ship and it's Mm. kind of over his shoulder and it's, you know, a bit shaky to obviously show, you know, what, you know, that he's in a, a, he's got to get it done. You know, he's in a different kind of world, but it's so jarring and it's such a good use of it because the whole time it's been like these static, slow moving shots, you know, to let us in. And all of a sudden it's like, we're right up on the character as he's trying to get this completed. Yeah. It feels like the definition of a slow burn. And yeah. then it's like everything feels slow and boring up until the third act. And then everything goes up to 11. And you're just like, whoa. It's like <laughs> like film <laughs> whiplash. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to hear some um, reviews from the time? Yes. Oh <laughs> okay. Stanley Kaufman for The New Republic said that 2001 was a film that is so dull it never dulls our interest in the technical ingenuity for the sake of which Kubrick has allowed it to become dull. So he thought the film was dull even though everything on it looked amazing. <laughs> um, Pauline Kael, who is very famous film critic who like a, you know, a lot of people looked up to, said, it's fun to think about Kubrick really doing every dumb thing he wanted to do, building enormous science fiction sets and equipment, never having bothered to figure out what he was going to do with them. In some ways, it's the biggest amateur movie of them all, complete even to the amateur movie obligate to seeing the director's little daughter telling Daddy what kind of present she wants. It's a monumentally unimaginative movie. Wow. Which... I have to disagree with it yeah. wholeheartedly. Yeah. That's such a I mean, it was just a film take. before it, I mean, at the right time, but also just, yeah, it took a minute for people to realize, oh, this yeah. is, this literally, not only is this what the future is going to look like, this literally is the future of our medium. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's like, I mean, when you think about like, the way that films look and felt prior to this 
And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is what movies are going to look like for the next hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think as people are so used to action, they're so used to intensity. And Mm. I think part of that is because they, like, film was still a baby when it comes to, you know, the media zeitgeist. Like, it's still the youngest medium that we have currently. Well, one of them anyway. Yeah, 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 sure. So yeah, yeah. I feel like people still weren't really taking it seriously as an art form as compared to either a money making machine or a propaganda machine. Yeah. Like yeah. even back then when people are starting to realize that film criticism is a form of, you know, art as a form of like, you know, forming, you know, human opinions and whatnot and expressing yeah. those opinions, I still felt like people weren't able to take it seriously up until possibly the I'll say post Hayes Code. I think people started to take film more seriously post Hayes Code because yeah. the I thought the Hayes Code was because of like film being treated as strictly like a business or as a news station or as like that one medium that people will all see prior to television. And, uh, yeah, honestly, with television being so, by this point, like, starting to amp up in popularity, I do feel like um, people were, like, wanted to have more. And to them, this film wasn't more. It was, le- it was like, in fact, derivative and less. But in those early audiences thinking of that, I felt like people... It's like early hate-watching. <laughs> yeah, I think people were probably <laughs> starting to watch it because of the uh, backlash it's gotten from film critics. And I think that word of mouth just kind of spread. It's, mm-hmm. it's spreading and spreading and spreading. And it's less to what the, the iconic cult status that it is now. Like, hell, we see that even right now, with the Oscar race, with everything everywhere all at once being like that one film that no one was expecting to even come close to be getting an award, let alone being a potential, if not for sure, front runner for best picture. Yeah. Because of all of that word of mouth, all of that. Not, I'm not saying backlash because they had way more positive reviews, but this is a different time. But it just feels like with all of that, uh, you know, talk, all of their word of mouth, it just yeah. Goes to well, show, it's like the first yeah. time in a long time that like uh the like a very popular film is probably gonna get best picture. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, they're like this. Probably like a separate conversation but like, i think there are like three films i think will possibly win that i would not be completely upset at yeah but that's one of them but i feel like a lot of this like media talk about films especially being like an art like a uh a form of art like with like this critical acclaim and then with amping up its word of mouth i feel like as a uh, talks a lot with um with 2001 a space odyssey and how i feel 
how that was. I could be wrong. I could be talking right out of my ass, but that's what it, it kind of reminds me of. Yeah. And I do feel like if we're going to, you know, bringing it back to like the concept of film being a religion, I do feel like there has been a kind of a, like, I'm not going to say like a church of Kubrick, but I do feel like people put this film at a high regard as like, you could say one of those film, like a film god, like Kubrick transcends, like he is a god of filmmakers. Yeah. It feels like, yeah. Well, especially with this film, because like it is an experience. I mean, it's like what, you know, the way that people describe religious experiences or like, um, you know, seeing God or feeling God's presence, you know, I feel like it's the same. Like you, you like not everybody understands that or, you know, has felt that before. And it's like the same with this movie. You either give yourself over to it and you experience it religiously or you don't get it, you know? Yeah. Um, mm. Do you feel like you can have a religious reading of this film? It's like, this is like, the monolith is God. Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's definitely saying that there's something higher than us. And that I I do like the, the theory that I've heard a lot, that if there is something higher than us, our mind wouldn't be able to comprehend it when we saw it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is kind of what happens to Dave. You know, he's he sees whatever he sees. He's reborn at the end, like, and I think that's for like we just wouldn't comprehend it. It just wouldn't be anything that our minds could could work. Understand? Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which you know is part you, of this film as well. <laughs> do you think that uh, like with um Dave, like Dave's rapid aging? and mm. deterioration into this uh, ethereal being at the end of the film. Do you think that he just got turned into that? Or he was already that? He was kind of, and this kind of becomes like an unlikely, like, chosen one story. Where he is, like, just happens to be the one who, uh, who goes into and achieves godlike status. And because of that, he is like reincarnated, reborn, as they say. Yeah, I think I, I, I just, you know, it's probably a very simple reading of the end. And I know there's lots of theories on it, but I just saw it that the the monolith was there at the end of his life. And then he was reborn. You know, then it was kind of like the cycle started over again. Um, and the, I mean, if you want to read into that, uh, like the monolith is some form of religion, but I think it's just it's just always there it's always going to be you know part of life for these people um yeah my you know i i don't know what i think of the end but my sister watched this with me yesterday and mm. brought up a really interesting idea that like the monolith was like basically life and death like a representation of life and death and it's like this uh it's like this black door 
that you can't like you don't know what's what it is you don't yeah. know what's through that door but it's going to follow you everywhere yeah until you have to go through it yeah i mean it's it's been on the earth longer than we have mm -hmm. or whoever put it there you know yeah um earth. it's kind of just everywhere we go you know we're not the first people to do this yeah. Uh, right? That's the first people because you got the eight then. Yeah. Somebody went yeah. through that door and then his repeats itself almost yeah. literally whenever yeah. it even shows in the shots. Like the shot of the monolith with the eight men, the long shot, is almost a exact same, almost exact copy of whenever the current time the season monolith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that shot where it's just like shooting up the monolith. Yeah. It's like such a cool shot. <sighs> I, I You come out of this film and I felt like deflated. I'd felt yeah. like I'd given something over to it. You know, mm -hmm. um, I needed a Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> this movie it, took all my electrolytes. <laughs> yeah, dude. I was like, I was like a flat balloon. <laughs> It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Should have had a product placement of Gatorade in it. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, I kind of feel that way. Because I remember the first time I watched it. Like, it was uh, in college. Like, my first semester in college. And me and a couple friends I made in college... We were watching, we watched it throughout like three nights, right? And just like by the end of it, like we just, it was like we were silent. We were yeah. silent and we just looked at each other and we're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of like, I think we didn't understand at the time, but just like how how much we can read into this film. Yeah. Like, yeah, there are so many thoughts that I had roaming around my head as I was watching it for the first time and then watching it again. And it's like, I felt like I have to take breaks watching it. And it's only two and a half hours. Like, I feel yeah. like I have to watch breaks watching it because I think there's so, it's so deep, but yet not deep at the same time is such a very just I don't know there's something about this film about the vibe of this film just feels heavy there's a heaviness that you feel watching it and I think we talked about it with uh all of the current talks of AI like it feels like knowing what we know now it feels like watching this film gives uh, credence to a heavy burden that we feel that we are literally in this space and yeah. we're, instead of fighting back, we're allowing it to just, you know, take over our, I'm not going to say take over our lives. I'm not one of those conspiracy theorists that's like, oh, it's taking over. But I think we it kind of gives credence to those fears of AI that a lot of people probably had like had for long. 
for a long period of time before, you know, AI was even more like coined or more like in the public eye as yeah. a concept. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's so much in this that can just be at different points of your life be reread in different ways. I think that there's just it's so deep, there's so many meanings to kind of everything. Um, or you can project meanings onto it. Um, it's just um, everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like this form of omnipotence. You're just like, oh, we uh, we know everything now. And yeah. Like, at that current moment of time, it's like, there's everything that there is to know. Like, yeah. it feels like Dave is privy to and his privyness to that I'll, I I just don't think he was mentally or physically able to probably comprehend it yeah and if you want to be real I feel like no matter what no matter how like these signs these uh, uh readings we get into that final scene uh I feel like we'll never know its true purpose. Yeah. And I think Kubrick wanted it that way, to be left ambiguous. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's it's like a great joke, really, isn't it? It's just the, you know, never discussing what it meant. Or, or like just a what. piece of art. It's like you, you know. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. Uh... But you don't need, that's the thing, you don't need to know. I don't think I don't think you yeah. come out of that like you know what the hell did that mean you come out of it and you're like I didn't really understand what happened at the end but it made sense in the yeah. like in the mm-hmm. scheme of the film yeah. you know it was it, it felt like it belonged you know yeah for sure it felt like it just kind of belonged to that moment that yeah like the more we tried to like dissect this movie the more we just like uh it's like you just nod your head like uh you don't really know what to say about it and i and i how even now like there's so much that i could say that i don't don't know how to say it (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah as feels like as if your mind is left to wander because like there's not much dialogue and then you're just lost in the world, so your mind just kind of wanders and just like makes you wonder about like all the other things that they could be doing, all the other things that uh, could be discovered as a result of this. Yeah, yeah. I do have one last bit of really fun trivia that I like a lot. That um, in 1968 was the same year that Planet of the Apes was released, um, and Planet of the Apes won for best makeup at the Academy Awards. Um, and the and the one of the people working on the film said the only reason that um, this wasn't nominated for the um, best makeup and hairstyle and everything was because the Academy thought the apes were real. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's effed. I know. <laughs> they thought they were real. <laughs> that's the only that's the only reason they could come up with as to why. Planet of the Apes won and they didn't because the apes are so much more realistic in this than they are in the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. 
amazing. Yeah, and you just look at the difference between. I mean, that was sci-fi, Planet of the Apes, yeah. for yeah. that day, mm-hmm. and this is like beyond. I mean, it um, knocks it knocks things that are in the cinema out of the park now. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of like realism and believing what you're seeing on screen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my god! I can just just imagine. I cannot believe that. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do like, we want to? Yeah. Do we want to guess yeah. what uh what we rated this film on Letterboxd? Each of us. Uh, yeah. I mean. I feel like it's got to be fives all around. Five, yeah. I you know I'm gonna be the odd one out. I'm a, I'm gonna give it a four. Yeah, I'm gonna give not it even a four. four and a half. Not no, even four, four and a half. I'm gonna give it a four because I'm just I am contrarian like that. But um, <laughs> it's also the fact that I think because of its ambiguous ending that you can get a lot of interpretations from that, and kind of just over time, I just feel like even coming from a recent watch, is it's like it feels like there's too it feels too ambiguous to me and i i like that i love that but i hate that at the same time yeah mm. and yeah also that baby creepy the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say that this is so close to be like this is the most perfect five star i've ever given that it's made me question every other five star i've given on the on the app <laughs> mm. yeah i'm like how can i like how can it even be in the same ballpark yeah Okay, you, you know, know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a five, but <laughs> with the caveat of the fact that that baby creeped me the fuck out. Yeah, it's because it was a real baby. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh. uh. So we have been doing a Kubrick ranking as we've been watching all yeah. these movies. So now we've got to place it somewhere on the Kubrick ranking. Right now it's Passive Glory at number one, Doctor Strange Love at number two, The Killing at number three, Killer's Kiss number four, Lolita number five, Spartacus number six, Fear and Desire number seven. Um, if you want to know why, you got to go back and listen to all the episodes <laughs> and hear that uh, that evolve. Yeah. But now we've got the task of where is this going to go on this ranking? Because I don't know. I feel like I, mean, I enjoy Passive one. Glory and Doctor Strange Love more. Like I like, I would enjoy. I don't know, rewatching yeah. them more. Yeah. Uh, rewatches for sure, but mm. I don't know though. You know, it's like. Mm. Uh, can I say something before you start? You place it. Yeah. yeah. So, I feel like with this film, there, like, I feel like everybody who gives it a five, us included, it has to be for a reason, right? That we give it such high praises. Do we give it high praises because of how we feel in this current moment of time? It's because of its cultural impact? Or should we rate it as if we were watching it for the first time in like 1968. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you didn't know who Kubrick was or like his impact or whatever, and you just watched this movie, would you be like, that was good. 
Like, how objective yeah. are we speaking here yeah. for this film? I don't think... I think that objectivity kind of goes out the window a little bit with especially my own film ratings because I'm like, this is, you know, you can't... It's not, you know, it's so subjective. It's just whatever you feel at the time and um, whatever mm. you feel when you watch a film. Um, you know, I mean... I'd, and this is kind of where we've stumbled across, right, Brandon? Because like last week, especially Doctor Strange Love, like you like love it, and I'm like I like it a lot, but it wasn't you know my favorite Kubrick. Yeah, you didn't like it more than Passive Glory. I didn't no, um, but I think that when I mean this is going to be my plea <laughs> when you when you look at something like this, I just think that it's such a well-rounded like like i said i don't think there's anything in it that could be improved personally yeah and like as much and i love paths of glory i think it's such a startling film um but for me this is more essential mm. yeah yeah and that's kind of how i've been thinking of the ranking too is like if i yeah. was you know if there was only one film of kubrick's that i could tell someone to watch like yeah that's going to be what's number one. And yeah. I think. But then again, that's the problem because you think I, I like you might be already thinking of someone in mind, you know? Yeah. Like it's like hard because you person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I know there's I was, people that would get a kick out of pass glory more than this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Oh, we're taking this way too seriously. <laughs> like if we, as like if you're talking about it like that, I cannot wait for y'all to watch Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, I can't well, wait to rewatch Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, we. Yeah. I think we've all seen it, but it's like it's been a long time. So yeah, it'll be. Mm-hmm. It, it's getting harder and harder every week to do this. I have a confession. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> oh man <laughs> I've only heard about so much that's going on I know more about the behind the scenes stuff than I do the actual film yeah. <laughs> I mean we yeah. have been talking about films where you just don't have a clue when it ends what's been going on <laughs> well you're going to have to continue this Kubrick journey yeah and watch it Wherever. yeah we haven't got that many more left like yeah what, four after this? Wow. Mm. Oh no, five. Barry Lyndon. Yeah, it was like Barry Lyndon. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I think I'd be good with putting it at number one. Okay. So that's where it's going. Sweet. Here we go then. Number one, two thousand and one, Space Odyssey. Ooh. Don't have to be a part of a number one film. <laughs> so far, Until we'll next see week. if anything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Knocks it off. Speaking of which. Yes, my little droog. <laughs> <laughs> what are we watching next um, week? Next, next week, we are watching the notorious A Clockwork Orange from 1971. Kubrick's follow-up um, to 2001. And that's all I want to say for right now. (laughs) Yeah.
is going to be uh, an interesting conversation. Sure. For is. sure. I haven't wa- rewatched yeah. this movie in a long time. Like a long time. And I. Yeah. I. Uh, have to get you the headgear that Alex wears and keep putting yeah. eye drops into your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so join us next week for that next Sunday, everybody. Jason, thank you for being here again. Um, so glad to be here. That brings us to the end of the show. You can, of course, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio. You can follow us individually on Letterboxd. I'm at Selmascope. Lewis is at Walker Lewis 3007 And Jason is at... at- Sisu photo on yeah Sisu photo on Letterboxd and it's S I S U F O T O right that's right sweet <laughs> uh, you can watch all of our back episodes on all good podcast platforms go check out our YouTube channel where we got video podcasts and video clips and all kinds of fun stuff some extra reviews that aren't even on our podcast like Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff like that um and uh, leave us comments on our YouTube videos. Let's start some discussions on some of these movies. And, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, with that, all I've got left to say is... Do you read me, Lou? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod doors, Lou. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye, Jason. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Jason. Amen. Prayers. Amen. 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 It was great. I did have the story about my dad. So that was yeah, and that's you know. I really wanted to know, yeah, um, what people at the time thought. So, yeah, I think I might post the whole. He like sent me a whole email of stuff, so I might post that. Yeah, on that'd be box. great. Your yeah. dad sent you a whole email. Yeah, it's just like a few paragraphs of like his thoughts on his experience. Holy crap, that is awesome! <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I love that. Like, I me really and my dad email. <laughs> Back in those days, Uh that was a witchcraft. (laughs) Oh, let me stop this recording.